0: Resiliency Within with host Elaine miller karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com.
1: Welcome to Resiliency Within featuring your host Elaine miller karras In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller-Karis.
2: I'm Elaine Miller-Karis, and I'm here with my dear friend, Gloria Simoneau, who I will introduce to you in just a second. I want to remind you that we are live on Facebook, and you can go to Resiliency Within Facebook page, and you can see us as well as hear us. So, let me tell you a little bit about my friend, and she's the founding director of Harambee Arts, an expressive arts organization and training program based in sub-Saharan Africa, Nepal, Dominica, and Haiti. Harambee Arts is designed to serve children and women globally who have been traumatized by illness, poverty, violence, trafficking, incarceration, autistic spectrum disorder, and other crises. Gloria taught expressive arts to counselors in Nairobi as a Fulbright scholar in 2008. I was really happy to meet her there, actually, in 2009, where she and I went to the woman's prison in Nairobi. We all, She also took me to the Kibera slum, and I know she'll tell us a little bit about that. But I have to say, my, one of my fond memories of Gloria... Is We were in kind of a dilapidated car pulling up to the Kibera slum, which, by the way, is the largest slum in Africa. And all of a sudden, these children start running to the car and they're just, you know, they're saying, Miss Gloria, Miss Gloria. Mm -hmm. And and she's surrounded, literally, the children are just embracing her and she's embracing them back. And then we went into the slum, which if any of you have been there, is a place that has vitality and a lot of sadness and despair. It has all the mixtures of life. And there's a lot of, um, of resiliency there, I would say. But what she did, she had pieces of lumber. She had pieces of paper. The children were getting their art, art um, instruments and they were painting and producing the most amazing things. And so, I think I'm going to just say, Gloria, that was 20 children and now there's 200. But I'm going to save that because you're going to tell us more about that. But in any event, um, she's also the founder of Drawbridge, an arts program for homeless children, now in its 33rd year, and has worked extensively with pediatric oncology patients in San Francisco hospitals. She's a consultant with Save the Children, Railway International, and other non-government organizations, and has taught and has taught in her community at C.I.I.S. and J.F.K. Universities. She is also taught at University of Nairobi and Connect, a family therapy institute in Zimbabwe. And Gloria is, you know, true to her indomitable spirit. We were just sharing, um, can we share our ages, Gloria? I mean, we're... I'm in my 60s, and she's in her mid-70s, but I want you to know that she is a, she has her second Fulbright right now fellowship, and she's working with the Ministry of Social Welfare in Dominica, a tiny island in the Eastern Caribbean that was 90% destroyed by Hurricane Maria in 2017, and she's going to talk about how she cultivates hope even in the aftermath really of the most unspeakable traumas, whether they be natural disasters or human-made ones. She believes in all children of all abilities and accomplishments are valued. And she's going to help us understand, too, that she's just um, uh, completing a project about two series of coloring books that she's um, producing. You are the star of this story, and I can't forget. So my dear friend, Gloria, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much, Elaine. It's really great to be here. It's a great honor. Um, I want to dedicate this, my time on this show to thousands of women and children who've trusted me with their heart, with their story, and um, that's why we're here today. I could name them but that would take the whole hour. So, <laughs> I know you could the yeah. way that. So I'm just wondering, you know, just as
2: we're starting today and I've just you've heard the introduction and maybe you're thinking of these thousands of of people that you've impacted around the globe, what's on your mind today as we get started, um, Gloria together.
3: Thank you. Well, one thing is that I'm looking out at my garden and I can see a beautiful purple flower and that makes me feel good. Um, this is the beginning of Yom Kippur week which is the high holy holiday for jewish people and so it's significant for to me and it's significant in terms of turning inward and acknowledging uh and reflecting on our own um i wouldn't say failings but how to become a better person a be- the best version of ourselves so that's what it means to me to really reflect on how i can become my most authentic self so that's something that's really alive in me today, uh, the beginning of the Yom Kippur holiday.
2: And, you know, Gloria, I have to say from knowing you over the years, we were reflecting as we were getting ready to start the show today that Gloria and I have this way of bumping into each other, either on purpose or by accident every <laughs> few years. And, you know, it's just its just been quite a journey for both of us. And one of the things that... Um, has illuminated me um, as in my friendship with Gloria is just that contribution to the world and how you'll go to places, honestly, that some people would never venture or even think about going, and this yeah. hasn't stopped you because uh, you're an, an elder in, <laughs> in this world right now. But I'm just wondering as we start also, how has your lived experience um, shaped and illuminated the work you do in the world?
3: Thank you. Um, Well, I just, before we go into that, I would like to just acknowledge how I met you. Okay. Just take a minute. Well, that's okay. um, You can say it. You can can say that. (laughs) um, I went to a somatic experiencing conference in Berkeley many years ago, and there was Elaine, and um, I was privileged to hear her talk, and after the talk, There were a lot of people milling around and trying to get close to Elaine. And I just barged my way through. And I said, Elaine, you and I have to know each other. And she invited me out for lunch. And ever since then, I've been attending her workshops, um, doing advanced training. We went to Kenya together. And um, it's been a very, very, very important part of my growth. So Mm -hmm. I just... Thank you so tremendously. Well,
2: thank you, Gloria. You know how much I appreciate you and the work that you do in the world. Thanks.
3: So much. Can, you, can you tell sure. us a little bit about yeah. what brought you to doing this work in the world? Right. Well, I think I'll just briefly mention that my own childhood was a little uncomfortable for me. It wasn't, um, I didn't really feel like I was embraced for my whole self for my imagination, for my wild spirit. Um, I was raised in a family of doctors and lawyers and I wasn't, I didn't fit into that mold. Um, So it was difficult to really express my full self. And uh, there was a lot of love, but I didn't feel that I could really fully be who I was, who I was. So my whole life, I've been um, traveling the planet, trying to give children the experience of being their whole, their full self, of trying to set a platform where children could um, have complete joy, all children, children who had, who lived in poverty, children who were sick in hospital, children with no home, children who had experienced the worst violence, and I wanted to give to all children an experience of being heard, held, valued, and that they were really important and that they had something of value to contribute back to the commun- to their community. So it, I would say there's a direct, um, obviously, correlation to what I felt was lacking in my own upbringing and this is not all. Was not all very conscious, but I did. I started to work with children in a hospital in Brooklyn when I was thirteen years old. So I've always been on this path. Yeah. So I'm just wondering when we
2: talk about expressive arts, people may not know what that is. Uh, what does it mean to be an expressive art therapist, as you are, and how you bring these expressive arts to yeah. children all over the
3: world? Expressive arts for me is using. Um, various media, visual arts, painting, drawing, um, as well as movement, drama, storytelling, and um, to express who you are, to express your, your history, your, your emotions, your deepest self. And so
2: as you, as you say that, what, is, what the essence of express, expressive arts is. You created Harambee Arts. H-A-R-A-M-B-E-E arts.org is the um, website if you want to learn more about her work. But so what is the history? Well, how did that come to be?
3: Mm. Um, in 2007, I was awarded a Fulbright Fellowship. Um, I really wanted to go to Kenya to work. But I was told that, there, that it was too competitive and I should try to find another locale. So I applied for a Fulbright in Zimbabwe, where there were very few people who were interested in working there. I got the fellowship. I went to Washington, D.C. for my orientation, and I was told it's too dangerous right now in Zimbabwe. What's your second choice? So I said, Kenya. So, and this has happened to me many, many times in my life, and I ended up in Kenya. Um, I spent a year and a half training psychologists and counselors and teachers on how to use the arts to form deep relationships with children and to to enter their their world. Um, And while I was there, I noticed several populations that I felt really needed attention, one of which were Children with special needs. Uh, there's very, very, very little attention given to children with special needs in Kenya and in most places in the world. There's a lot of stigma. Sometimes women who give birth to a child who is different, um, they have to leave the village. They're ostracized. Children are often left at home, tied to a table if their parents have to go to work. It's it's really quite difficult. Um, terrible, terrible stories. And then there were children in, in the Kabira slum who live in, in poverty, no sanitation, no um, really no hygiene, no, no running water. Um, their houses are made of cardboard and tin. And I was very, very attracted to those children and started to spend time with them every weekend. And then I was asked to do a project at Langato Women's Prison with the HIV positive women's women. And at the time, um, it was, there was a warden who came out as HIV po- positive at the prison. And that was very, very revolutionary. And she asked that, uh, to, to for the permission to start a support group for those women. So at the beginning in 0- 08, we had eight women in the support group. And that's when I started and it it was such a joyful meeting and so um unusual in the oppressive situation of the prison for the women to have joy and and to laugh and dance and eat and sing and paint so all the prisoners 700 wanted to join and they all went for voluntary testing which was one of the goals of the wardens so all of a sudden everybody was going for testing and the ones who were tested negative were very disappointed because they couldn't come to the support group. But today, uh, we have about 200 women in the in the support group that runs twice a month. So, Gloria, uh, I was... Yeah, I was
2: um, really, I was so, um, I, you invited me to come with you, and I remember yeah. taking the women through a grounding exercise, and also seeing just the joy of dancing, and And some of the women were going to be there for the rest of their lives, some of them right. were only going to be there for a short period of time, um, right. but it, I remember that probably at that time, maybe they were about 40 when yes. I went there in 2009. Yes. And so who, now that you are, I know that you're living in the United States right now. So how yes. have you created the capacity for your um, yes. your ideas to continue like in Kenya?
4: Because yes. I know you have
2: the children in the Kibera slum who are continuing to paint and do the amazing yes. things that you started. And also yes. um, who's following through with the women um, in
3: the prison? Yes. We have a very, very, very strong staff. Um, most of them have been with me since two thousand and eight, and Lillian is um, was with my very first training, and she's our country director. She's a phenomenal leader, and um, just an all around wonderful very very present woman and she's so she holds this staff in Kenya there are 14 of them five of them were children in the program years ago they're now big adults and they understand from the inside what is needed Um, so and then one of them is a, a prisoner who I believe you have met when she when you were there Jennifer and she was released and I trained her So she's also part of our staff and the staff, I I look at them as being part of fellow travelers on the path of wholeness. Um, We've all worked really hard together and they have entered as a group, their fears and their losses, and they support each other on a very deep level. Uh, And that's why now they're able to sit with children who have also the same type of losses and trauma. So the staff um, has really come together as a family. I'm so proud of them. And um, they... And, Lori, I think
2: what's important to me that I want to highlight about what you've done is that, you know, sometimes we see, because we have have been at many disasters, that sometimes people come in and they, you know, they give fish to everyone, to use that that kind of metaphor. And then they, after they leave... But I think what you've done that I've been very impressed in is that you've created capacity Mm -hmm. um, with the people who are from the country that you very much cared for, which is Nairobi. And you've left something with them that they're now doing on their own. And then it becomes their own with their own cultural lens. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, one of the questions I think that I think is important to ask is that here you are, myself included, you're a white woman. And yeah. you're going into places where there are people of color and, all, you know, and also we have seen the horrible vestiges of colonialism. Right. So how have you been able to, right. um, to be accepted and embraced um, with the ideas that you've had that you've brought into not only Nairobi, but I know you've been to Nepal. And there's other places in the country. I thought Nepal was never colonized, but I know other countries were. So if you can just share a little bit about your reflections on that, I think- In today's world, it's a very important question.
3: Um, I guess I would say that I am super aware of my privilege, um, and I'm really, really careful and conscious not to set myself up as the leader. We have no real leaders. We're all on the equal playing field. And... My projects, both in Kenya and Nepal, are completely locally run and locally owned. So even though I might want things to go my way, I often want things to go my way. <laughs> but I've really learned to like mm, not say anything and listen. And um, that's I, I have a tremendous, tremendous respect for indigenous wisdom and the culture of each country that I enter. And I understand, I've made many mistakes, but I understand that they are the ones who really know um, what is needed. And so that I have a close friend who's an Indian woman and we were having lunch a few years ago. And I said, you know, I go to these places and I just feel the same as everybody. And, um, and she looked at me really hard and she said, but you're not, and they don't feel that. And that was a life changer for me because I realized at that moment that I am different, I'm white, and I'm privileged, and I need to hold that. And um, so that was...
2: Well, I, I think we call that, what, you know, what I've seen you and how I've seen you operationalize what you do in the world is um, cultural humility.
3: Hmm.
2: Is, you know, at, at one hand, yes, um, acknowledging that there you have a privilege, and and then not using that privilege in a disparaging way yes. or non inclusive way. Yes. So and like because I saw that too because when I was mm-hmm. in Nepal after the earthquake there, um, you weren't there, but I met all the women that you yes. had cultivated as part of your program. They came right. to the training that we did, right. and to see their. Um, appreciation of what you had shared with them, and that now that they were imbuing all over Kathmandu was Mm -hmm. quite extraordinary to see. Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully we can talk a little bit about them in a moment. But I'm just wondering, um, you know, there's a lot of pain that you have Mm -hmm. seen. I know I've seen a lot, people often ask me, how can you go to these yeah. places where there's so much yeah. pain? And of course, you know, you've know, you already said that, I have a privilege of going in and leaving yes. in terms of it not being the continuation of my life. And at the same time, also wanting to see uh, if we can leave something behind that can be utilized by the people that we share, whether it's expressive arts or in my case, the community resiliency model. So what do, how do you deal with the pain that yeah. you encounter?
3: Okay, good question. Um, well, first of all, I have this enormous faith in the people that I work with, both my st- all my staff and all, all the children and women that we meet. I know that they have the answers within them. Um, and I hold them, I see, I, ha- I think this is my biggest gift. I can see the beauty, the value, the worthiness in every single unique individual that I come in contact with. And that's what I focus on. So the pain obviously is there, but um, I don't, I manage not to take it in because I see the real goodness and the beauty most of the time. So I'm wondering, because I've seen, you know, you've sent me some of the wonderful pictures
2: that people have drawn and there's a certain hopefulness, that um, that I've seen, just even how yeah. that's expressed. Right. But I wonder if you could just maybe even tell us a couple of stories yeah. about um, how you've touched people and how the expressive arts has been a vehicle yeah. to heal the pain and suffering of others yeah. in the places that you've been.
3: Well, there's two things that come up. One is, for me, the whole foundation of this work is listening, deep listening, mm-hmm. and learning how to be present. Um, which I'm still learning. I'm still cultivating that in myself, but um, creating a safe place. So once I met with a little girl from El Salvador who was recently, had just moved into a shelter in San Francisco, a very chaotic place where there's no privacy and really no dignity. And the little girl came to me and sat with me for a while, about a half hour. And we just, I just felt her and she, I know she felt me and we only met once. She painted a house, she called it a crying house and the house had tears coming from all the windows and the little girl needed to paint that and once she painted that there was a kind of a relief because she shared her story with me just in that doing of making of that painting. So I'm a very strong believer in creating the space and the right thing will happen. The kids express what they need to express.
2: Well, I think the other thing that I'm that's touching me as you're telling us about this little girl from El Salvador is that right now in our world, we have people coming from Afghanistan yeah. to all different parts of the world that have left um, as a result of the Americans pulling out. Yes. And also, we both love Haiti because <laughs> we've right. both worked in Haiti. And I know that the Haitians have yet again had another... Tragedy of an earthquake, as well as the political unrest. So, when these, when you hear about these kinds of events, are there things that you can share with our with our listeners that might be important? If yeah. let's say, uh, maybe there might be a community that comes from Afghanistan, or maybe they're called to maybe help in Haiti. What are the some of the ideas that come forth as you see the suffering in the world right now? Because we've both seen that the suffering doesn't yeah. stop;
3: it continues. Uh, well, that's a really big question, but, I mean, really, the only thing that comes up for me is um, to encourage people not to donate to the really big NGOs. Uh, I was in Haiti right after the 2010 earthquake, and billions of dollars were funneled in, and nothing happened. So, I, again, this is about trust in the local people. Um, they know what is needed. There are some really strong, I I don't know about, not Afghanistan, that's a whole other story that I'm not very converse in, but for example in Haiti, there are many very strong Haitian-run organizations and that's where the support needs to go, Um, trusting in the locals. So that's the thing that comes up for me.
2: Yeah, and I think that sometimes there are NGOs that work within the United States that are connected to the NGOs that help to disseminate funds that are actually directly Mm -hmm. helping the the, the people. So, um, because I know that, for example, one of the larger NGOs is Save the Children, and you're a consultant with them. Can you tell us a little bit about how you consult with Save the Children?
3: Well, I am actually not very connected with Save the Children any longer, and um, I chose to basically, to move on because I'm not a fan of going into a two-week workshop and then trying to um, trying to work with 7,000 children. Um, my, that's I, a lot I, of I, kids. Yeah, I mean, my my plan is let's try to focus on 100 children. So I have a little bit of a difference of um, attitude. So I do, I am available to save the children as a consultant, but I don't 100% match.
2: And so could you possibly maybe share with us why you think the smaller workshop idea is can be helpful for children? I mean, is it that there's more well, individualized attention or what yeah, do you say about definitely.
3: that? Yeah, I'm not into numbers and I'm not into um, pleasing any donors who want to give a million dollars. I'm very careful. We have a very small budget and we can totally control where that money goes. Um so, the the important part is the quality and really connecting with children in a very profound way, not superficial and have 200 children in the classroom. That's not what I'm interested in.
2: And I guess the other th- part about what I'm hearing you say, too, is that, for example, you said that one of the people that, that some of the children that you've initially met in the Kibera slum are now working for your organization in yes. Kenya. And yes. so when you uh, impact one child, you don't yes. know how that one well, child is going to continue to impact. Exactly right. Is right. Is that's that exactly kind of right. integrated into your philosophy?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And my staff in Kenya has really grown to they they have all found they found meaning in their life and an ability to feel happiness and they attribute all of this to being part of around the arts and um it's very powerful
2: and so when you talk about um you know we talked about the little girl from el salvador is there any particular story that 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 comes to mind about your work in in um nairobi
3: in nairobi or nepal
2: We we'll come to it.
3: Nepal after the
2: break. Okay, okay. Yeah.
3: Well, there's a thou- there's thousands of stories. Um, just, let's see. Um, the, the children are able to voice. We give them a voice. A lot of children, when you ask them how they feel, children all over the world, they will always say, fine. And then we see um, them painting, I am sad. I am angry. And so we're able to... To go deeply with the children, um, and we 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 do a lot of movement. Um, I believe in, and partly what I've learned from you is that dance and movement really frees up and the and softens the body. So we do a lot of play and movement, and the children. Um, we do group work, so they support each other. Um, I believe that the therapy is in the sharing within the group and in the playing within the group and the laughing. So um, that's.
2: So it's like what I'm, you know, I think what I've seen you in, you know, really in action is how you help people also enhance their relationship. And when you say the group work that you do, I think I've seen that in, in action. So that's really inherent in, the, the group work that you do and, and getting the children to move and, ma- and even to be in the same room and, and doing art together. Sure. And, and I, so you see that collective effort.
3: Yes. I, I heard of by, from Bessel van der Kolk yesterday, a, a quote that he sent his team to Sri Lanka after the tsunami. And they wrote back and said, we don't need to be here. They're dancing. They're singing. They know exactly what to do. And that's how I feel. I just have to continuously listen to my staff, and they know exactly what to do. And there's a lot of celebrating and drumming and moving and dancing, and that's what's really needed, and the art, of course. Yes,
2: and, of course, I want to hear more. We want to hear more about this so it's time to take our short break um we'll be back in just a, a in just a few moments back with gloria Simoneau, who will tell us more about her work in nepal and also some of the the coloring books that i think could be really valuable for all children um all over the world so more in just a little bit back with gloria simono in just a couple minutes time for our break
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America.
0: The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma informed and resiliency focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information.
4: Elaine Miller-Karis' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. Elaine Miller Karras co founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience, awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
2: Welcome back. I'm here with Gloria Simoneau, who is telling us about harambi Arts, org. if you want to get a hold of her. Um, and we were talking during our little break, and I'm going to actually ask her to share with you some of the thoughts that she had. But the first thing I'm going to ask you, Gloria, is when you've worked with the women in the prison,
3: mm-hmm. you've
2: also worked with the wardens. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about your work with them and how that's influenced the, the prison system in Nairobi? Yeah,
3: um, the wardens are very rough and very strict. And we have helped them to understand that the prisoners um, have value and they're worthy, and they're not only their mistake. And so we've, we've enabled, we've facilitated this within the wardens um, to, to understand that, or to really um, grasp that these women are wonderful, valuable women. They're not only their mistake. And um, so that's been very, very powerful. And, this,
2: and this thought, because um, you know, people who have listened to my show before, I, I, I always ask the question, what else can be true about which mm-hmm. it, things in your own life, but also in something like this, right? So yeah. the women have obviously committed a crime to get there, but there's so much there's so much more than their crime That's right. and also the way that people recover and they reflect about what they've done in their life to create some new meaning. Yes. And I think there's a lot of meaning that can happen when you are incarcerated that we've certainly seen all over yes. the world. And I certainly got a glimpse of it when we were there um, mm-hmm. um, in Nairobi. Yes. So that that work continues and not only with the women, but also with, with the wardens. Well, then, right. and I th- and I think there's a second part. And I think one of the things yeah. I've been struck about your work, Gloria, is working with children of all different abilities. And as yeah. you said earlier, we know that oftentimes, not only in our own country, but in other countries, that children who are um, have different abilities are not treated sometimes very well. And so, can you share with us your philosophy, the philosophy of the Harambee arts of mm-hmm. if you see a child that... And you shared a story of a little boy that couldn't use his hands. Can you can you share that story with yes. us?
3: Well, at the school for special needs, um, we have managed to really unleash the beauty and the potential in each child, and um, train the teachers to also see the whole child and not their differences. So in in Kenya, as I said earlier, there are terrible stigmas, even within the school, which is a safe, so-called so a safe environment. And the teachers will bring ch- children to our painting sessions, and occasionally they'll sell, say, I don't think this child can do anything. He can't speak. He can't hold a brush. So send him back to my class if, if need be. And then this will say, okay, sure. And because of the the love that is is holding this child and the um, knowing the value of this child. Uh, the children the children get that, they reflect it back. And so there's this one boy who was dropped off. The teacher said he can't use his hands. And within 10 minutes, he made one of the most extraordinary paintings I have ever seen with a lot of detail and color. And I actually end up, ended up selling that particular painting at a fundraiser. Um, so we've helped the teachers to understand that the children are not just their difference and their disabilities and the parents. Uh, you know, parents come in and they're like, oh my God, my my child did that. And um, we give the children a lot of freedom and just a tremendous amount of support, loving support.
2: You know, I, I, as I'm, I'm struck as I'm hearing you speak is that it's almost like, of course, you know that there is something that's a challenge that they have yeah. um, in terms of learning or speaking or whatever it yes. might be, but you see their potential.
3: That's right.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I'm just, so how did that happen? I know you talked about yourself as a child. Yeah. Are you not everyone sees the potential mm-hmm. that I've seen that you yes. reflect back to yeah. children and to adults? So, can you just talk a little bit more about that?
3: Well, I think I'm going to have to charge you for that. <laughs> You're gonna charge me for that, okay, so so go ahead no, I don't really know how to answer that. you know, I have a very deep connection to love. That's all I can say about that, Elaine. I really do um, well, I do think that that love
2: has a lot to do with it. you know i um I had a um a guest uh, a while back. Her name is Joy Miller, and she did her. Her doctoral thesis on how, what helped women survive
4: mm-hmm. um, in,
2: in Auschwitz during the Holocaust, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the overarching thing was love—the mm-hmm. love that was developed between the uh-huh. survivors, the people yeah.
3: there—and
2: yeah. so I think that love can be something that overrides even the darkest, yeah. the darkest things that we experience yeah. as humans. I
3: think
2: so, and and I do think that children. No, they sense it.
3: Of course they sense it.
2: They sense it from you, that that kind of love that I've seen that you give to to all children and yeah. adults that you encounter yeah. on yeah. this planet.
3: Yeah, thank you. So, um, yeah, also with the children in Kibera, I was saying that, their parents don't have the resources to give them what they need at home. The, the parents are casual laborers, selling mangoes or selling fried fish, and the children come to our program, and it's the only time that they get this. They get they're seen for who they really are in their essence, and um, for the contribution they can make, and and um, and the joy they actually have inside. So, yeah, we bring that all over. And I used to, I used to be very careful about using the word love with funders. I wouldn't, but now I'm very proud to just say this is a love story. It is um, a love story. Ah, uh, that's that's how I yes. Hold it. So.
2: Harambi arts is a love story. That's, That's right. what I'm going to say. Exactly. But so, and that brings me, I, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Nepal. So um, mm-hmm. after the earthquake in Nepal, yeah. um, the trauma resource Institute went a couple yeah. times and worked with survivors of the earthquake. And yes. I, ca- you know, I, I can't remember if I called you or you happened to call me, but we said, yeah. oh, you said, Oh, Lane, you have to meet, you know, yes. the, the ladies that I have that are working there. And, and I, I, they were lovely, and you sent them to the training. So, can you tell us a little bit about how yeah. you found them? Yes. About, about the work that you've done with with right. survive sex trafficking? Because I think this yeah. is an important issue in today's world.
3: Well, um, it's actually. I hope I didn't say the wrong thing about Save the Children before. But anyway, it's thanks to Save the Children that I met the women, and I had been working in Nepal for a month. I was sick, I was filled with bed bug bites, I was miserable and exhausted. And they said, okay, now this weekend you have to work with survivors of sex trafficking. And I'm like, no, please, I can't. And they, you don't say no to save the children. So I spent a weekend with this group of 24. Um, They were part of an organization called Shakti Samuha, the first organization globally started by trafficked women to support other trafficked women. And I spent a weekend with them, and I was absolutely, first of all, fell in love 24 times. And I was horrified that not one of them had had an opportunity to tell her story. And they were expected to go out into the field and work with women who were recently rescued. And so they were triggered constantly, and um, they had absolutely no resources. And so... This I found this very disturbing and I asked Save the Children if we could continue this project and they weren't interested. So I told the women that I would come back on my own in a month and do a two-week heal-yourself training for them. They loved the idea. So I returned and I worked for two weeks and we really started to explore. We go very, very deep in the trauma and then we come up very, very loudly into celebration and and dance and laugh and support and that's it's kind of an arc going into the difficulties and then coming out into joy and i use a lot of um your exercises for grounding a lot and movement and so at the end of that two weeks, seven of them approached me and they said, we want to go even deeper. We want you to be our mentor. We want to keep doing this. We feel a lot of relief even in this short period. We want to continue on our own healing. And we want to bring this into, the, our, into our world. So I've been working with them for 10 years. And um, at the beginning, one of them, she couldn't even open her eyes and she's now a fully confident, strong, beautifully powerful activist against trafficking and working with rescued women. Um, I can remember one instance where I was working with the seven and five of them were on the ground sobbing with their eyes going back in their head. And, and um, I was like, I, I I didn't even know how to handle it, really. And touching the feet and holding the, the shoulders and trying to have them breathe. And, and it was very, very um, intense, very profound work. And luckily, the full orange moon was rising just at that moment. And we all gathered and watched the moon together, huddled in a group. And this is the group who, two years later, I took to Hong Kong to present about their experience, what they learned and what they bring to the world to a group of 400 international expressive art therapists. And they danced and they talked and they shared. And so the story of these women is extremely powerful, unique, and um, and it continues. I just spoke this morning to Sarala, our country director, and I said, what tell me something you love about her on the arts and she said i love that i was able to transform my fear and my tears into power
2: that says it all (laughs) right there and i have to say that i had the joy of meeting them and when they came to our training and um one of the things that i think that um, Gloria and i share is this piece of empowering the young women and there's a Uh, exercise I learned from Gloria and integrated our Community Resiliency Mall skills within it, which is called the Tree of Life. So, I asked the girls, the ladies, um, if they would like to teach the, and there was like, there were like 60 people there from Mm -hmm. all over Nepal. And they said, oh, you want to? I said, yes, if you'd like to. And so, they taught the Tree of Life. And then Mm -hmm. I just integrated the sensory pieces and they got to learn that from me as well. But to see them in their full really um, appreciation, I think of, I mean, because they often express their appreciation of you as they were doing this, but that they were able to do that. And again, stating, Oh my gosh, just a few years ago, I would never have even thought that I could speak in front of a group of people and share. What they shared was their wisdom. Because the other thing I want to say about sex trafficking is, is the the ladies that I talked to, they were trafficked as children. Mm. They were very, very young So they really had unspeakable things happen to them and the way that they were brokered by the sex trafficking industry in Nepal. And what they do, and I just was so amazed by them, they would go to the night district in Kathmandu, and they would see children who were obviously being trafficked, and they would get them under their wing and Mm -hmm. literally pull them out of situations that were not at all, that were not necessarily safe for them, Mm -hmm. but they became empowered can I say the word warriors of protecting the children of Nepal? You know, I wonder, you know, we think about helping people. How do we help this horrible industry that exists in the world? But when you see the advocates that can come, that can be born out of the expression of their pain and sorrow, but also the expression of their strength and resiliency. Um, I think we both have been awestruck by this group of seven Yes. Um, that we've met. So I think that if oh. some of you are sitting out there and you're thinking, well, how can I be part of mm-hmm. of helping um, and doing the kind of work that Gloria is talking about? I want to just say again, HarambiArts.org is her organization. And also I'm going to say this for you, Gloria, too, is that you appreciate donations mm-hmm. and you can go to her website and you can directly donate. And this, and because of the way that Gloria works She's not one that's amassing a personal fortune. <laughs> she sets some money to Nairobi. She makes sure the gals in Nepal have the funds that they need to, to have in order to continue the sustainability of these projects. So I just want to say that to Gloria about your work. But I want to kind of circle back because you have another. F- another um, Fulbright uh-huh. You're collecting yeah. Fulbright fellowships yeah. here, your second one. Um, so what are you doing in Dominica um, okay. right now? Well,
3: I just want to add one thing. Okay, to go ahead. Paul, Because again, this is a, a um, locally run. I want to really emphasize that. And for example, I, I, we had a Zoom meeting a few nights ago and my team told me, we have a new idea. We're going to take a group of rescued girls next week on a hike. And then we're going to dance, and then we're going to do art. And I'm like, my God, you, you guys are so brilliant. <laughs> and, and this is beautiful. So I'm constantly, I just want to say that I've been doing this for 40 years, this work. And I'm constantly on a learning curve and so grateful to my, so many, many teachers. And I, I, there's one thing I didn't mention at the beginning, which is I want to say Um, before we move on to Dominica. Um, I learned uh, most of what I know from children who were dying of cancer. And I think this is really important to my own personal story. And I worked for eight years in in an experimental unit where children, the worst hopeless cases from all over the world came, and they received experimental treatments, which were often hideous. And I spent a lot of time at the bedside and I would see doctors come in like six and a half feet doctors really big and strong with a smile saying well you have another tumor and I became really committed to finding out what the children really needed and wanted and how to support them fully and authentically and those children taught me how to be real and how to be present um and that's really what our whole foundation of this work grows from my relationships with hundreds of children who have died, who um, still, they still visit me in my dreams 40 years later. Um, so I think, I want, I just want to say that, and I have been to school, but I didn't learn that much in school. I really learned what I needed to know in the, in the trenches with children who were dying, no home, um, who had been abused and so forth. So I'm really filled up with the these connections and these these teachers and the wisdom that I've been really fortunate to.
2: Well, I can just see their little souls surrounding you, your little yep. guardian angels, yep. and how their their suffering and their and their deaths also gave you, I guess, this wisdom. This of way. how you Absolutely. bring forward healing to so many other children in the world. Thank you. Gloria, I've never quite heard you talk about that part mm. of your of your journey. So any of yeah. any of our listeners who may be struggling with a child that mm. that has um, a threatening condition
3: yeah.
2: is you know try to find someone that might be able to work with mm. the expressive arts with them. Because I do think it provides a vehicle that can help in the healing process that you know words sometimes can't express, right. but those drawings and that movement right. sometimes, even if they have limited movement, you can imagine movement, and yes. that also comes inside the spirit. Yeah.
3: For instance, I had one girl with leukemia, age twelve, who painted four flowers in a vase. She had a sister. There were three healthy flowers and one black flower drooping and dying. And it was that painting that really gave her parents the permission to let her go and to grieve and to listen to her and to meet her in her world instead of, oh, you're going to get better. We'll take you to Disneyland next week. That was the transformation. Well, and I think
2: we can't underestimate um, for our listeners to know that mediums of art um, impact different parts of the brain. And sometimes yeah. those metaphors about life that are expressed in expressive arts mm-hmm. are not expressed in words. So that yeah. vehicle becomes a very important vehicle of of help and healing. I know you don't like the word help, but yeah. I'm going to say help and healing because it it is something that helped those parents to see yeah. um, a different journey In terms of how they needed to approach their child, well, you know, I am seeing that. Oh my goodness, our time is quickly um, leaving us, and i I want I am going to have to bring you back to talk about Dominica, but I want because I don't want to leave today without talking about the coloring books. Yeah, and can you tell us a little bit about the coloring books?
3: Yeah, Um, well, during the pandemic, the worst of it, um, I was paying my staff in in Kenya regardless. And so they dreamed up this project they wanted to do because they wanted to feel like they were producing something of value and not just getting charity. Um, so we decided to do a, a workbook, coloring book, that would focus on emotional issues that were arising for the children and um, as a result of the pandemic. And we produced, with the children of Kibera, an extraordinary... Um, tool that is called um, "You Are the Star of This Story," and if you want to see more about it, you can look at my website. And the coloring book takes you from um, what what. Please draw yourself the, at the beginning of the pandemic, before the pandemic, um, now. Um, what What helped you calm down? Um, what would you share with other children? That would give be advice for them um and then for example empathy um oh and put all the difficult feelings that you're having as a result of the pandemic put them in a box throw that box far into the sky and say goodbye pandemic goodbye bad feelings and then the last part is shower yourself with love shower all the children in the world who are also struggling with these types of emotions same as you shower them with love so we go from a very individual this is me in the pandemic what i'm experiencing to um getting rid of the feelings how i calm down how getting rid of the feelings and then empathy Showering the whole world, children with love. You know, Gloria,
2: as you say that, you know, uh, I just want to say I think you are also that person, um, kind of like the citadel of empathy and compassion and how you're showering the world that you come in contact with, with kindness and with love. And I I just want to, I think, I hope our listeners can see why I admire you so much. Um, I know that you will continue to do this until you no longer can take that breath, that you'll continue to reach out to help the children of the world. So as we're in our last minute, I want to say again, you can contact Mm -hmm. Gloria at www.harambiarts.org. Please think about donating or think about getting this beautiful book for your child. Mm -hmm. Um, It might be something that your school might want to integrate Mm -hmm. and Gloria, we have like two minutes left, so one word to kind of say.
3: One word. One word. Oh, my God. I'll just say that the coloring books, we're doing a whole series, and we've already done natural disasters, how they impact children. We're working on an immigrant children book, and book for children with by and for children with cancer and so So forth. So
2: keep tuned. Keep keep, keep tuned. Yes, keep tuned. So – um, to, to, my, to our uh, listeners, please remember as you walk through your life today and during the next week, what else is true in your life? Yeah. Think about the empathy and the love that Gloria shared with us today about how she showers children and adults with this all over the world. And maybe think about who you might be able to shower some love with love to
3: Elaine. Yes, love
2: thank that. you my dear friend as I'm feeling it all the way here in California <laughs> feeling that shower and just remember again what else is true and yep. this is Elaine miller Carris signing off from Resiliency Within and I'll see you next time same Monday at 1 o'clock on Pacific Time thank you again my dear friend Gloria thank you
3: thank you. So much. thank you